This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Shannon has been a lifelong sailor, and dense fog is one of the most terrifying and mystifying things she has ever experienced. It can settle in so gradually that you are not even aware your vision is being obscured, or descend on you so quickly that the sudden complete bleakness is paralyzing. It's just water vapor after all. What could possibly be so serious about that? But when this happens to you out on the ocean, When the reality hits that you are completely immersed in dense fog, the panic is real. Your head pounds, your heart races, your thoughts spin, and you frantically try to grab onto something of substance. But there is nothing in all directions but this thick, dense water vapor. Nothing but fog. You can't move for fear of running into something, and even staying still is not safe. This frozen state doesn't help you get out of the fog, but feels like your only option. So you sit and wait for the fog to lift. In the fog of a hurtful relationship, this feeling of paralysis, anxiety, depression, confusion, disorientation, not knowing who you are, or how you got into this dark place in your life is also real. The fear, obligation, and guilt crept into your relationship so stealthily that you didn't notice it. The games, the pressures, the gaslighting, the bits of anger, the confusion, the disorientation, all of it was just a bit of water vapor that was easily dismissed. Abusive relationships are not an act of nature like ocean fog. They are the result of intentional tactics of manipulation and control. In the early stages, it is hard to see this for what it is. Unfortunately, the fog of an abusive relationship is not going to just lift. Nothing will change until you change it. So how do you find your bearings? Push past this paralysis. Clear away your vision, begin to heal the trauma, and rebuild your life. Valeria interviews Shannon Petrovich, the author of Out of the Fog, Into the Clear, journaling to help you heal from toxic relationships. Shannon earned her bachelor's degree from Bowdoin College and her master's in social work from the University of Connecticut. She earned her clinical licenses in social work and substance abuse counseling and is a board-certified diplomate in clinical social work. Her new book, Out of the Fog, Into the Clear, Journaling to Help You Heal from Toxic Relationships, has attained Amazon bestseller status in self-help for abuse, codependency, and personal transformation. On her YouTube channel, Therapist Talks, she shares insights, information, perspectives, and strategies on a wide range of relationship and mental health topics. 
With a very trauma-informed, strengths-based approach, she seeks to help people see the old stories that are in their way and to fully become the person they were created to be. Meet Shannon at nofoggydays.com. Here's the interview with Shannon Petrovich. In your own words, who is Shannon Petrovich? Hi, Valeria. Um, I am a therapist, an author, and a YouTube creator. Um, I've been a therapist for over 35 years, and about five years ago, I decided that sharing what I've learned just one person, one hour at a time, seemed a little bit um, minimalist, and I really wanted to share with the larger audience of people who were really struggling with mental health issues all over the world and probably would never have any contact with a therapist or access to therapeutic information. So my YouTube channel, Therapist Talks, was designed to help people with those issues and just share perspectives, information, and strategies. And over the course of the five years, really the thing that people were focused on was relationships and specifically abusive or narcissistic relationships. So that has become my focus over the last few years. And then uh, felt like I needed to bring it all together into a book. And and then I, I wrote this book this past year. Yeah, we'll be talking about your book. The title is Out of the Fog into the Clear. I love the title. <laughs> I love that word clarity for some reason. Journaling to help you heal from toxic relationships. So we'll be talking about your book in the moment. What inspired you to become a therapist? As a kid, I really wanted to become a veterinarian or a doctor. I just loved um, animals. And I also loved the idea of helping people. Um, and when I entered college and, and then after college, really realized that my fascination was more in the emotional aspects of people and what makes us tick internally, emotionally, spiritually, and how to help people with those kinds of things. I volunteered at a domestic violence shelter, and uh, that's really what drove me to grad school. I felt like I really needed to understand more deeply what was going on and how to help people on a deeper level. I love that when we are called to do something that has to do with helping ourselves and others at the same time. You mentioned relationships. I mean, this is something that we all know, or, or perhaps not all of us, most of us, that they're very challenging for most of us. Relationships are not easy. And I often wonder why. I'd love to hear from your perspective on that. Why do we have so many challenges in close, especially intimate relationships? Relationships are our biggest gift and our biggest challenge. Um, being loved and, and loving others is probably the most important thing in our lives. And yet um, it's so difficult and complex in many situations. And I think a lot of it is um, complicated by our culture and a lot of the things that are supported and encouraged in our culture are really antithetical to healthy relationships. So I think it's becoming more and more difficult. Um, and I think that what we need is a deep healing internally, each of us, and then in our relationships as a result. What some insights have you gained into the relationships 
that work? <laughs> like, what are the, the greatest or the biggest, the most kind of noticeable signs of a healthy relationship? Most important piece is that each person fully exists in the relationship. All of our emotions, thoughts, feelings, dreams, aspirations are, are seen and heard and known and felt and appreciated and loved. And that's the healthiest relationship. I think the essence of a, an unhealthy relationship is when one person basically takes up all the bandwidth and the airspace in a relationship and the other person is expected to basically feed that person, that person's ego, that person's needs. Uh, their wants and their desires and their dreams and their aspirations and their emotions. Um, and they're expected to not need anything and not need to exist fully in the relationship. And I think that's the most painful part is that when you're in a toxic relationship, you over time feel like you cease to exist. You don't know what you think or feel anymore because there has been no attention on those things. And that you made me think about my husband, because recently he said something like, you know, I don't have a purpose. I don't know what my purpose is. In a way, he's kind of um, looking at what I do and he feels inspired by it, but he's not sure if this is something for him, like to do. He was in construction business, so now he's here in Florida and feeling a bit lost. So with that in mind, how do we find this sense of purpose for our own selves, this sense of self, of wholeness? Is that something that we have to be almost like out of relationship to find it or we can find it within a relationship? For sure can find it within a relationship. I think it's important to recognize that each of us have our own strengths and our own callings and, and our own um, abilities And each of us has to find those at different times in our lives, too, because you might have a calling during this cha chapter that then changes during another chapter. And I think when someone retires or shifts jobs, I think it brings to light how our, our uh, sense of self is maybe too attached to what we do for a living and that we have to find that deeper sense of self. And this is something I talk about in my book because When we lose that sense of self, we have to reclaim it. And so we have to understand what that means. And our culture is really terrible at this. In our culture, self-esteem is all wrapped up in how your hair and nails and dress and all of that superficial stuff looks on the outside and oftentimes not at all focused on the internal character qualities that are really who we are. So when we explore who we are on a deeper level, we really understand the parts of us, the character qualities that we truly love and respect about ourselves. Then we have a, a healthier, more solid uh, sense of self. And then we can ride the different waves of life, including the ups and downs of jobs and, and different types of purpose. From your perspective, what is the best way, the best path <laughs> to get there quicker? I would love to see more people and live in their purpose. So that it's almost like it's an urgent kind of wish and vision. But I would love to hear from you. What is your thoughts about that? <laughs> if everybody in the world could have access to a therapist if and when they wanted it, but that's obviously not realistic. And I think that there are so many different ways to find that sense of self. And that's why in, in my book, I really walk through the different aspects of 
of healing that sense of self because we get so damaged by toxic people. We believe them when they tell us we're useless or worthless or or ugly or stupid or whatever you've been told or have internalized through your life. And so those are the things that we have to take out and look at and say, wait a minute, that isn't who I am. Uh, I'm a caring, compassionate, empathic person. Um, so those are the kinds of things. And we also have to not get too wrapped up in having a grandiose sense of purpose because I've known so many people who are absolutely loving, forgiving, caring, and compassionate when they are doing what some might call a menial job, but they bring light and life and love to people in those, um, in those areas of their lives where they work. And I think that's an incredibly beautiful thing. And I think it was Mother Teresa that said, do small things with great love. And I, I fully believe in that. And I think that oftentimes we get too wrapped up in whether I'm doing something that's important enough instead of doing the small things with love. Mm, yeah, what a beautiful message. That's a powerful one. I love that. <laughs> ah, you paused me for a moment there too. <laughs> ah, yes. What's the purpose of the human experience, uh, Shannon, from where you are today? What do you see? I think if each of us can find who we are, and again, on a, on a character qualities and values-based perspective, that that becomes, and that we can show up in our lives in loving and present and compassionate ways, I think that is our best experience and that we can affect those in our lives with that love and that light and that sense of, of meaning and purpose just in being present with each other and loving each other. Speaking of love, I have to ask you an open question about that. What is your idea of love? How do you describe what that is? That is such a great question, Valeria, because again, our, our culture really stinks at this. Yeah. And <laughs> in our culture, love is an ooey-gooey feeling. And when you stop feeling it, then you ditch the person. And that is just so not love. Love is, is a verb. Uh, it's an action. And when we, when we love others, we are actually taking action in caring for them and being compassionate and showing up for them and being present, seeing them, hearing them, valuing them. And, um, and then feeling love is feeling known and seen and heard and valued by another person. So that's what I believe love is. That's a beautiful description for it. And I absolutely agree. Sometimes I use those another word connected to love, which is unconditional, unconditional love. But then I come from this spiritual background. I'm always doing, going deeper into spiritual philosophies and studies. And that always brings me back to that unconditional kind of uh, space where everything is happening in a sense that's not for me. It's just kind of reflection of me, of life itself. And that kind of, um, it really brings that, that feeling or that perception of unconditional love. It's almost like accepting, embracing everything exactly as it is, including the conditioned mind and body <laughs> that I inhabit. So that's... Um, I love that topic, too, uh, of unconditional love, of love. And with that in mind, I guess, speaking of spirituality, do you have any spiritual ideas, views, practices at this time? 
too. And and I think unconditional love is a tricky one. And I think a lot of people get into trouble with that because a lot oftentimes it means boundaryless. Um, and that that should not be what it means. Uh, I believe that when we are asked to tell the truth in love, um, in and I think that that is much more critical than unconditional. Unconditional, I agree with in terms of I can be unconditionally loving, but I can also have boundaries around someone who is um, not being loving towards me. And I have to take care of myself. I've been given this body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's something that I uh, am tasked to take care of. And so if someone is uh, being toxic or mean or abusive, I think it's my job to stand up for myself. And that, that can be challenging if you've grown up with toxicity, if you have sort of an internally toxic relationship with yourself. So I think that learning to change those internal messages to be loving and compassionate towards yourself is really the first task towards embracing who you are uh, as a as a child of God, and then looking at unconditional love as an acceptance of things as they are, absolutely, like you said. But that doesn't mean that I accept other people's behavior towards me in 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 a way that is going to be harmful to me. So we already have a conversation about your book, actually. So let me go back to, to your book title. So the title is out of the fog into the clear. So I have more questions for you about that boundaries and how do we go about it? Because for me, it has been a, a huge challenge. But an open question about your book, Shanna, what was the main purpose of writing your book? Did you set an intention as well? Did I, It was that I was having so many thousands of people on my channel asking a lot of the same questions and asking how to actually move from being lost in the fog into a greater sense of clarity, into healing. And even people who had been away from their abuser for years and years and still didn't feel any better. And that's a tragic thing. So I wanted to help people who maybe didn't have access to therapy with some information, perspectives, and journal prompts to help them walk through the healing from the beginning when you're just really starting to understand what's going on all the way through to the last several chapters are all about self-care, uh, redefining your sense of self, reconnecting with people, uh, and retooling your life. Because so much of the time, if you've been focused on someone who's selfish and, and abusive and, you know, has moods and you've been focused on their moods and their emotions, you've really lost track of everything in your life. Oftentimes people are emotionally, spiritually, even financially bankrupt. Um, their careers might've gone down the tubes, all kinds of things. So you really have to take the time to reflect and reclaim and rebuild. And it's all about rebuilding. So I noticed that it's very popular, the topic of abusive people, toxic people, narcissism, and is that because it happens very often? Is that because most of, oh, lots of human beings, actually too many of them, are displaying these behaviors, narcissistic, egocentric behaviors? 
So, yes, I mean, it's always been true to some degree. We didn't have that same languaging. When I worked in a domestic violence shelter 30 years ago, or 35 years ago, we didn't have, we didn't use the term narcissism. And so that's been a more recent thing in the last five or 10 years. And I think sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's really not helpful at all. And it's even weaponized and used against the victim. I've, uh, you know, I've been working with someone and I'll help them set boundaries and then they'll come back and say, someone, you know, my partner said that I was being abusive or I was being mean or I was being mm. narcissistic. Mm, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> of course they did. That would, that would make sense. But yeah. <laughs> so we want to make sure that we're not just weaponizing it and throwing it around. But narcissism is more prevalent in our culture because it is re- reinforced and encouraged and supported and and kind of glorified, honestly. And I think that's one of the tragic things about living in our day. It's really difficult to, um, I mean, I think selfishness is <laughs> a human trait and we all have to um, work to not be self-centered because it's just human nature. But um, when parents are overindulgent um, or when uh, kids grow up, watching one parent abuse the other or being selfish and the other one is uh, uh, the victim, then oftentimes kids will line up either on one side or the other where they'll say to themselves, you know, subconsciously, obviously, um, I don't want to be the victim. So I'm going to be the one who's kind of in charge and, and gets their needs met. And then sometimes the other, another child may say to themselves, well, I don't want to act like that. And just going to sort of be the placator peacekeeper people pleaser and so those kind of set people up for falling into those relationships um so yes there are more people in the world who are acting out in those ways and i think it's more accepted and supported which i think is extremely unfortunate and uh and and that's why i think it's such a need because when people are at the um are being victimized by a relationship like that. And then everybody thinks that that person that who's victimizing them is wonderful. That makes you feel crazy. That's just an awful place to be. Right. I love the idea that we have only two choices. Really, everything we do comes from two choices, uh, love or fear. And then those behaviors I do kind of, I can't help it, but just classify them as fear from my own personal perspective. And what are some of the signs of emotional abuse, Shannon? How can we learn to recognize them fast enough so we are not damaged by them? Well, first of all, we have to really look at the relationship we have within our own minds. Uh, We talk to ourselves inside our own heads somewhere along the lines of about 40,000 times a day. So if you are constantly putting yourself down and running yourself down and and saying nasty, evil, awful things to yourself, then you're not going to have good boundaries or um, ability to defend yourself against others. So we all have to do the internal housekeeping first, learn to be compassionate with ourselves, learn to know who we are and love and respect who we are. Uh, and um, that that process, that's the first set of um, journal prompts that I put in my book because I really feel like we can't have a toxic relationship with ourselves and expect to be able to get out of a toxic relationship with someone else. 
we're just not going to be able to navigate that very well. And uh, so looking at that and working on that first is really, really critical. And then starting to recognize, when you recognize those things within yourself and you're really solid with yourself, then when someone else is rude or putting you down or disrespectful or just disregarding and dismissive of you, it just clangs like a big gong. And you, and it just makes you step back and say, wow, did they really just say that to me? And, and, and it's kind of, you just kind of step back and marvel and you don't take it personally because you know, for sure it's about them, not you. And so that's the difference, you know, whereas when you're not healed internally and you're not taking good care of yourself internally, when someone says something rude, it kind of goes right by, or you just kind of, it isn't that it's comfortable because it's not, it's absolutely miserable, but it's familiar. And so we don't want it to be familiar. We want it to clang like a gong. And that can only happen if you've done that internal work. That's a beautiful message. I love the piece of kind of going inside of ourselves to know, doing the work of of identify what kind of relationship we have with our own selves, what's happening within our own minds. I love that. And as you know, and I know, it's not easy to do that because that requires almost constant attention and self-awareness of everything that's happening within our inner world. What a beautiful work to do. To me, as I said, off record, there's nothing else to do here in this human life but to uncover and discover more about ourselves, how the mind works, how the inner world really realm works. So thank you for that message, Shanna. It's a beautiful one. I love that. I read that in your book and I highlighted it's here to self-compassion, of course, and going in. Beautiful message. One that we need to be reminded over and over again. Regarding the narcissist, there is a actually a um, term that's clinical. Uh, it's narcissistic personality disorder, I think it is. Correct. Yeah. So there is a difference, right, Shannon, between just uh, displaying the behaviors, narcissistic behaviors, and having the disorder. And and there's a whole range from mild to moderate to very severe. And, and depending on how severely somebody is displaying these kinds of behaviors, well, that determines whether the relationship is salvageable at all. And it's really important to recognize that on the lower end, with selfish behaviors, grandiose thinking, um, sort of the entitlement and uh, disregard for others and poor empathy, low empathy. Those are the characteristics to watch out for with a narcissistic person. And then in the more moderate to severe realm, what you will find is that people are that way all the time in a severe way and that they become delusional so that they truly believe that they are not to blame for anything that happens in their lives, that it's, it's your fault. If, if you upset them and they do something awful, you upset them. <laughs> and so it's your doing, it's your fault. And if you hadn't said this or you would have done that, then it, they wouldn't have gotten upset and they wouldn't have hurt you. So it's a really twisted way of thinking. And, and in that severe range, uh, that, del- that level of delusion is crazy making. And people will talk about gaslighting and talk about 
that that delusion and how that impacts you over time is that it makes you feel like you're the crazy one, you're the abusive one, you're the one that needs to change and, and alter their behavior. Um, but that's not true. So it, it's very, very twisted and very dis- disorienting. And that's why we talk about the analogy of the fog, that by using fear, obligation, and guilt, the narcissist twists you up into such a knot that you just don't know which way is up, down, sideways, and you don't know how to get out of the fog. And I talk about in my book, getting clarity means looking at the facts, just the facts. So your emotional mind is caught up in the trauma bond and caught up in the attachment to this person. And so it isn't going to be rational at all. And it can't really even grapple with the facts of the, of the situation. So you have to step back from the emotions and not follow your heart. You know, our our culture is really messed up this way too. I did a video recently called uh, Why Follow Your Heart is the Worst Advice Ever. Uh, I have it here. <laughs> that caught my attention immediately. That was like the first video I saw. <laughs> I guess I've been following too much the heart on this. And people will say uh, that all the time. And it's the worst advice you could give someone if they're involved in, a, in an abusive or narcissistic relationship because their heart is completely blindsided by all of this and they will stay forever if they only follow their heart but if you can focus on the facts and use your rational mind to focus on those facts and make a good decision a healthy decision which is usually to leave or to step back emotionally from this relationship if you have to stay in it for whatever reason that you would emotionally separate yourself and maybe physically as well and that you would walk it through, even though your heart is screaming to return and is very torn up over this and wants to stay attached in the worst way. But you can't listen to that part of yourself because it's just, it's too caught up in the emotions and in the trauma bond. Gosh, I can't relate to that. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> I have to say. So you do make it in your book. I saw that the distinction between the reactive mind and the rational mind, right? So the reactive mind, it's connected to codependency and uh, trauma bonding. I heard about that recently, this term. How amazing. So what happens with people? That has been my experience. So Mm -hmm. is that because I was, because I remember being very much feeling lonely. I had a feeling that I was never loved by anybody, my father, my Mm -hmm. mother. So I went on in the world kind of trying to find somebody to love me and to kind of ex- mm. accept me and, and all that. It, it almost felt like an addiction. It's almost like I right. had to have it. Right. Is that what it is, Shannon, this reactive mind and uh, the following your heart in an unhealed way, sadly? Right. And it's so it's that reactive mind is the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. And, and it's also your attachment um, so when you feel afraid, oftentimes a, a selfish person, an abusive or narcissistic person, they want what they want when they want it. And if you don't give it to them, then they're mad. And so they either implode or explode or both. And so when any of those start to happen, then you will kick into peacekeeping, placating and people pleasing. And when you're doing that, then you are 
um, neglecting your own self, your own thoughts, feelings, needs, wants, and focusing entirely on them. And over time, they train you to do what they want you to do by pitching these little tiny tantrums or bigger tantrums if they're not getting your attention. And over time, you bond to that person. And then you're starting to do their work for them where you're telling yourself, oh, don't do that. and Don't say that. and Don't feel that. and Don't express anything. And then you cease to exist and you're completely at their uh, beck and call and you're completely um, doing everything just to try to keep them appeased and placated. So over time, you're just no longer existing and you're completely focused on them. So what happens when you leave the relationship, you feel completely empty. You don't know what you think, feel, want, need, and you want to attach. You impulsively, instinctively want to attach to another person who will be that for you. And again, it's not comfortable. People say, well, it's because it's comfortable. That's not comfortable at all. It's horrible, but it's familiar. And so if you grow up in a family like that, you are, you are going to be set up to uh, attract to and attach to somebody who is very similar. And it's, that's the tragedy of, of unhealed childhood trauma that then turns into adult trauma in other relationships. Yes, uh, listening to you is just like, it's the story, <laughs> the story that I could tell about my own personal life. And it's uh, what really, um, when I came to realize all that was, that was, that really saddened me is that I could not trust myself. There was uh, really the theme, the main theme, no self-trust. I could not trust my intuition, what I called intuition. It was kind of, I had to go against the way I was kind of navigating reality. So it was the opposite, actually. So that was a huge shock, but in a good way. That was almost like a rewiring of of the brain, of the way I did things, the way I, I thought. And then as of now, uh, I still feel the uh, being very much, um, yeah, playing that role of trying to make peace. Uh, my husband has displayed some of those characteristics that my mother did. So they're very similar in a way. And I still find myself trying to make peace every time he gets irritated. I take responsibility for it and I don't feel right. It's almost like I'm doing something wrong and I know I'm not because now I have that much more, a stronger sense of self-trust in self. But it's still, it's a tough one, isn't it, Shannon, that most of us, women and men who are, uh, who have been, um, let's say, affected by trauma, it's really a tough one, a challenge to get out of it. And I wonder if it happens, if it really goes away completely, do we ever recover 100%? I don't know if 100% of anything, because we're, <laughs> yes. in, a, we're in a pretty broken world. But mm -hmm. I do think that when, when we feel that impulse to, I call it the three Ps, people pleasing, placating, and peacekeeping, when we feel that impulse, when we are noticing that in ourselves, we can stop. And we can tell the truth in love and we can set boundaries and we can, uh, because it, what's funny is that we, we feel sort of like we're doing everybody a favor if we're peacekeeping. But the fact is that we're not actually telling the truth or being completely present in our relationships. And so when we step back and say, wait a minute, 
I really feel hurt right now. And I need to say that to my husband, or I really feel frustrated, or I don't agree with this decision. And I really want to speak up when we can stop the reactivity and stop the placating and peacekeeping, we can actually express ourselves. And then we give the relationship the opportunity to grow, to deepen, to be more honest and and more full of integrity. And then, and we give our, our partner the opportunity to see where they may be um, displaying characteristics that are maybe not the best for them or for you or for the relationship. So I think it's always helpful to do that. And people will say, well, boundaries don't work. Well, I think they always work because they either work because they either work in that you uh, establish a boundary and that person respects it and you grow and you grow closer and you grow to understand each other better. Or they work because they show you that that person's not capable because you set a boundary and they go off the rails and they get furious and they start becoming more and more aggressive. Then you know that that person is more in the severe range and you can't resolve that relationship. But oftentimes I see when I see couples that have had sort of long-term quiet conflict it's because one person is sort of in that placating role and the other person often feels a sense of loneliness that that the placator is not really telling them the truth about things. It's not really willing to, um, you know, share their, their reality. So I think it's always a good idea to, to step back and ask yourself what's true, what your thoughts and feelings are, and to really share as best you can. Yes, I love this advice. And it's one that I have been a practice that I have been <laughs> engaging in, not an easy one, because it feels like I'm being selfish. <laughs> and that's something that because I have seen so much people around me acting selfish in a way that I didn't want to behave. Now, even self-love and self-care feels selfish. <laughs> it, right. Isn't it funny? It's, you see, we have to go back to that. The trust, right, Shanna? I mean, right. I call the spiritual heart because that's something I can never go wrong <laughs> in a sense mm -hmm. of just being seeing reality for what is and accepting it, not accepting abuse, but doing what I can do, but from a peaceful place. I mean, I used to be angry because all the abuse, that's what we go through. Inevitably, that's what it seems like in trauma. We go kind of between resentment and, I mean, there's so many uh, symptoms, but I remember being very angry. And then now that doesn't come up anymore. It's very peaceful and uh, I find life to be very interesting. Wonderful. Yeah, but I think it's because of also the, because I've never done therapy. So I think it's the mm -hmm. spiritual work. I'm very much into what this is all about that we call life and why do we go through all these painful experiences? What is behind all this? So I keep asking questions. And I see that you do that too in your book. You keep asking questions, the, uh, mm -hmm. encouraging your readers to journal, to just ask questions to themselves, answer those questions and to find out more, explore their inner landscape. So it's right. really, it's beautiful to see that too. People like yourself, therapists, which is mainly what the work is, isn't it, Shanna? Asking questions, going deeper, because we are the only ones who can heal ourselves in the end, our own selves. Yeah, I really do believe that. That's that's really kind of coming full circle. Why I wrote the book is that I do believe we all have the ability to take a look at a deeper level and and heal ourselves so much more than we think we can. And I really believe that 
no one should feel alone. And that's my mission overall that people who hook into my channel or, or buy the book or whatever, I just want people to feel like there are solutions and not to fall into despair or feeling like you're alone. Yeah, I love that. What a beautiful mission, vision to have. I love your work. Thank <laughs> it's you. It's truly beautiful. Yes. I remember recently becoming very emotional here because um, somebody that I interviewed, she said, I felt very lonely for a long time. And then I felt almost like she was speaking for me. Yes, I, I felt lonely too for so long. And, and that's something that almost makes me cry every time I think about it. Because you're right, we tend to navigate this world feeling that we are alone, that nobody shares or experiences what we experience, but that's quite the opposite. <laughs> there are so many of us sharing the same feelings, the same emotions, and we want to share. We want to talk about it. We want to have that deeper connection within ourselves and with others. So thank you for what you do, Shannon for the, the inspiration and the reminder that we can always find ourselves back to that place of wholeness and we can connect deeper with one another. Thank you, Valerie. I appreciate what you do and sharing with so many people from around the world who hook into your podcast. I think it's wonderful. Oh, thank you for the encouragement. The body appreciates the conditioned body of mine. <laughs> um, I absolutely love this. I call my sacred space. Although I'm always late, as you, as you know. I'm always saying that to all my guests. Gosh, I'm so, I'm so late. Uh, I need therapy for that. And I said that too. Um, I don't know what to do with that lateness. I made many notes here about your book that I found. I love the section where you say, nothing would change until you change it. So that's a very empowering reminder again and suggestion that uh, nothing will change if we don't take the first step, if, we don't, if we're not willing to look deeper and, and do the work. It's really true. And the reactive mind will just stay stuck there forever and will keep making excuses. And the rational mind knows that you, what you need and, and what you need to do, but it's scary. And, and it's true, too, that you can still love that person and you can decide with your wise mind to leave. And people, when they hear that and really understand that, it's a life-changing concept. Uh, I love the way you talk about self-compassion in your book, of course, self-care, self-compassion, uh, and so many other topics. And then there's something that I highlighted here, I'm wondering, where you say, find a partner, not a project. Yeah, that, I found that funny. <laughs> I read that. It was funny. And then you say, this means the person you are looking for is like you, empathic, kind, caring, loving, giving. If they are not any of these things, move on. That was a wake-up call. Because <laughs> we try to change people around us. That's true. We, we just right, we, we bond through trauma, and then we try to change people. And that doesn't always work. Sometimes it does, but not always. So let me see. I have a few more questions for you, Shannon. Let me see. Yeah, but before I ask you these ending questions, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid for today's conversation? Oh, read a passage in your book. I almost forgot to say that. <laughs> oh, you want me to read a, read something? I would love to. Oh. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you wanted me to do that. I might just take a second. Yes, sure. I've been a lifelong sailor, and dense fog is one of the most terrifying and mystifying things I've ever experienced. It can settle in so gradually that you're not even aware your vision is being obscured or descend on you so quickly that the sudden complete bleakness is paralyzing. 
It's just water vapor after all. What could possibly be so serious about that? But when this happens to you out on the ocean, when the reality hits that you are completely immersed in dense fog, the panic is real. You whirl around in all directions, trying to find your bearings, looking for anything that will orient you. And literally, you can't see anything but fog. The disorientation is overwhelming. You have no idea where you are, what your boat is doing, where the land or other boats may be. And you know that you are at the whim and will of any danger nearby. Your head pounds, your heart races, your thoughts spin, and you frantically try to grab onto something of substance. But there is nothing in all directions but this thick, dense water vapor, nothing but fog. You can't move for fear of running into something, and even staying still is not safe. This frozen state doesn't help you get out of the fog, but feels like your only option. So you sit and wait for the fog to lift. In the fog of a hurtful relationship, this feeling of paralysis, anxiety, depression, confusion, disorientation, not knowing who you are or how you got to this dark place in your life is also real. Others may not understand and may even get frustrated with you for not getting out of the relationship, but in this state, only you know how simple that sounds and how hard it really is. Uh, so from that, I also understood that became clear to me that you also had the experience of being in the fog. <laughs> so that's also really, unfortunately, great to know that you come from experience So it's even more powerful in that way because you know what it feels like. So we can, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things that is important is people recognize that all of us who have been through that experience felt the same way that you feel when you're lost in it. Um, and, and we took ourselves down. Um, we blamed ourselves. We did all of the same things. And I felt very much alone and very confused and baffled by it all. And I felt like I kind of had to make it up and figure it out on my own. And that is part of why my mission is to really help others not have to figure it out all, all on their own and to have some guidance and help in getting out. Yes, I love that. Thank you again. Mm. What three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? To love, to be loved, to know who you are and what gifts you bring to the world. Thank you so much again, Shannon, for sharing your presence, you. your work, for doing what you do with a lot of clarity, compassion and, and peace. <laughs> I love how you express yourself within this very, let's say, I don't want to say dark and Yeah, dark topics. They are not easy mm -hmm. a lot of times to even discuss. I get emotional a lot of times. So thank you so much for coming from that place of clarity that keeps you centered and you know the truth behind everything you're saying and the way you're saying. So that came across to me. It gave me some confidence. <laughs> so thank you for your presence. Thank you so much, Valeria. This has really been a pleasure. It's been a lovely conversation. Before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So my website is nofoggydays.com or therapisttalks.com. On YouTube, it's Therapist Talks. And, and on the website, you can see the link to my book, which is on Amazon and Kindle. And all the other things that I do are on my website as well. So that's nofoggydays.com. 
wonderful. I'll have the link, your website link on your podcast profile, and also the uh, Amazon link to your book. I'll have them awesome. there. Thank you so much again, Shannon. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you, Valeria. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Shannon Petrovich and her work, please visit nofoggydays.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.